0: Thank you very much, and praise the Lord. It's the right response. Around 2,500 years ago, anybody remember that time? (laughs) Gold was discovered in the coastal region of Macedonia, which hopefully some of you may know now is that northeast region of what we know as Greece today. So gold was discovered there. King Philip of Macedon was thrilled And he believed that his position as king was to be used for his own gain. So he commandeered all the gold, and he uh, got slaves to go in and mine the gold, even in very difficult situations to do that. And there was a city nearby that had been ruined that he knew he needed to rebuild so he could defend the gold. So he rebuilt the city, and he named it Philippi. Does anybody know who King Philip of Macedon named the city Philippi after? himself because that's what kings do. Well, money and power did not buy him affection. It actually got him assassinated. So King Philip of Macedon's throne passes down to his son, a much more famous man from history, Alexander the Great. So guess what Alexander did with all of the gold in Philippi? He used it to pay for his army so he could conquer the world. But that didn't last very long because he died at the age of 32 and with it his kingdom crumbled. So it was a few hundred years later when we actually hear about Philippi again in history. And this man named Octavian who became known as Caesar Augustus, the same one who issued the decree that the whole world should be taxed and sent uh, Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. That Octavian is on the battlefield with Mark Antony and they are fighting Two other armies, the army of Cassius and the army army of Brutus. Those are the two men that plotted the assassination of Julius Caesar, Octavian's father. Well, they defeated those armies so severely there at the Battle of Philippi that Cassius and Brutus actually took their own lives. And it was there that the Republic of Rome, the ideals of the Republic of Rome collapsed and it was the rise of the Roman Empire one man to rule the whole world, Caesar. And as a result of his rise to power also came the beginning of what we know as emperor worship in the Roman Empire. Caesar is not just emperor, Caesar is lord. Well, Philippi is significant for Caesar's rise to power, not only that it serves as a gateway from Europe to Asia, and so Caesar Augustus establishes Philippi as a Roman colony, which means that the citizens of Philippi are also citizens of Rome, with certain rights, but also a responsibility to reinforce the Roman way of life in their little neck of the woods. So the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Lord, begins its advance across Europe right in Philippi. Those are where the first people responded and said Jesus is Lord on the continent of Europe, was at Philippi. The way of the cross begins to confront the Roman way of life. And today we're going to look at one of the more significant battles waged by God's people against the Roman way of life. And ultimately, it offers to us what is the joyful way of living? Last week we began a series in the epistle to the Philippians entitled in Inescapable Joy. The Apostle Paul, who planted the church at Philippi, writes this letter about 10 years after planting the church. He's writing from Rome. He's actually in chains. He's imprisoned there. And while you would expect a letter from prison to be hopeless, this letter has, become, has come to be known as possibly the happiest book in the Bible. The physical chains on Paul were not enough to separate him from this inescapable joy found in his relationship to the Lord Jesus. So Paul is writing to Philippi. He's fully aware of the struggles they face, um, both outside of the church and inside of the church. He's not writing to them saying, come on, get happy. That's not what he's doing. He's actually writing to them for a couple purposes. Number one, to say thank you, because they had given an incredible, gracious gift, and they had also sent a friend to him to serve as a companion. He's also writing, appealing to them for unity. Now, he says some other things along the way, and we see this theme of joy spread throughout. And the letter is very useful to us, just as all of Scripture is, for teaching, reproof, correction, and training as our authority so let's now look at Philippians 2 and I'm going to read to you the first four verses Philippians 2 verses 1 through 4 therefore if there is any encouragement in Christ if there is any consolation of love if there is any fellowship of the Spirit if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love united in spirit intent in one purpose do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others Paul appeals to the Christians at Philippi to remain united through humility and so what I want to propose to you this morning is that happiness is not going to be found by indulging in the sinful nature, your sinful desires or self-centeredness or vain conceit. It's not going to be found there. True joy comes as you follow the example of Jesus who deliberately chose humility and considered others, uh, the interests of others in front of his own. So Paul reveals the secret to happiness by issuing an appeal for unity, and then ultimately presenting us an example in Christ. So we're going to look closely at the appeal. Uh, Paul is writing at a time when one would think that happiness was hard to come by, uh, not only in Philippi, but especially uh, all throughout the Roman Empire. But the church at Philippi is working to promote the way of the cross, which is diametrically opposed to the way of Rome. So there's serious persecution against the church. So a few verses prior to this, Paul actually addresses it. In chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents. So he's saying, as you face opposition, you stand strong. But then he turns to, in chapter 2, kind of strife within the church. And he says, once again, he appeals for unity. So in verse 1, he uses the word if four different times. If you have encouragement or you know, if you've experienced any uh, encouragement or if you have love or if you recognize you've got this fellowship. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, if you notice these things then. He's using the word if in the same way you might say since or assuming that. He's saying, therefore, since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, since you have comfort from his love, since you have common sharing in the spirit, and since you have tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Paul knew they had these things because they were in relationship with the Lord. And that was just one of the benefits there. It entitled them to a life with God. A life with the Trinity. And so he actually addresses those Trinitarian benefits. You get encouragement from Jesus the Son. And he talks about love, and he's talking about the love that comes from the Father. And then he says you have fellowship with the Spirit. And then he talks about affection and compassion. Now he could be referring to the affection and compassion they have from God. He could be referring to the affection that he has for them but I think he's talking about the affection and compassion that you have among yourselves that you're known for he says since you have all of this and then he turns to the concern of his appeal to them in verse 2 he says make my joy complete well clearly you should underline the word joy because that's the theme we've noticed in the book and Paul had joy for this church, he considered them dear brothers and sisters. In fact, of all of Paul's epistles to the churches, this one's the most personal. He loves them deeply. It, it is obvious as you read the book. But he says, my joy is lacking. doesn't say it that way. But he says, make it complete, which means it's lacking. Well, why is it lacking? Because Paul longs for the Christians at Philippi to mature in Christ. So that... It would make his work among them all the more beneficial in eternity. So how would he want that maturity to show itself? He says, in the form of unity. So make my joy complete because now you're going to be united, this like-mindedness. And he offers three phrases in verse 2. But they essentially mean the same thing. Commentator Gordon Fee summarizes it this way. On the basis of your own and our common experience of the Trinitarian God, and of your well-known tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by getting your corporate life together. In other words, there's no room for division in the church. I do want to call attention to this phrase, maintaining the same love, that he says in verse 2. I read this week uh, somewhere where somebody said, love begins when someone else's needs... Are more important than my own that's what love is we're approaching February we all put attention on love in February well love begins when someone else's needs are more important than my own that's what love is and I believe that's likely true and so Paul kind of speaks into that in the content of his appeal that's found in verse 3 and 4 it's here that Paul points out what hurts unity anybody want to guess what hurts unity selfishness right rivalry thinking of yourself too highly vain conceit empty glory that's what hurts unity and so Paul so graciously offers the antidote humility now humility is something that appears to be lacking in our world right you've noticed that but at least we recognize it's an attribute to be pursued in the Roman world humility was not a virtue It meant failure. And so it was a distinctly Christian value that Paul's saying, if you have it there, they're going to notice because nobody's pursuing it. It is a distinctly Christian value. We're not sure if Paul was writing about something specific the uh, Philippians were struggling with with regards to selfish ambition or maybe something generally there. But one thing we do know. Selfishness and vain conceit should never even get a foot in the door of any church. It should be immediately recognized and removed. It's not welcome in the church. So Paul lays down the hammer. He says, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And he puts the emphasis on others. Now, Paul is not saying that we are to think of others as better than us. That's not the point here. But we are to prioritize their needs. We're clearly going to look out for our own interests, but Paul says don't merely do that. Don't stop there. He says you should recognize other people's needs and other people's interests. I've been reflecting on this verse all week to prepare for the sermon, so naturally... As I was watching the news and uh, saw the abortion bill that was signed into law in New York this past week, I thought of this verse. The state of New York celebrated the law as a victory for protection for reproductive health rights. The law very specifically allows for late-term abortions when the woman's health is at risk. Notice it says health and not life. Because we've heard this week that doctors have stated that late-term abortions are not necessary to save a mother's life. It's more important to deliver the viable child and then save the mother's life in that way. But the courts have found that the health of a mother can be defined in terms of emotional, psychological, and even familial health. It's just not the right thing for our family right now. So without becoming too inflammatory... It seems to me that the law is merely looking out for the interests of one party, of one person. But I believe that the unborn child has personal rights to be considered. That's a biblical value I hold on to. And I find it very dangerous for a society to measure life with regards to convenience, which I think is where we've arrived. May God have mercy on us. So in the passage, Paul appeals for unity through humility in the church. If we're to be effective as the body of Christ, we must come together and each of us look out for the interest of the others. That's the secret to happiness. We tend to think of seeking happiness comes whenever you're pursuing what makes you happy. It's all about you. Nobody else is going to make you happy. But true joy is rooted in humility. And it ought to be the hallmark of God's church. Now, it's easy to speak in theoretical terms. But here's a practical question. Here's an applicable question. Can we curb the temptation to assert our rights over others? Is that possible? Is it applicable in our lives? I've been mentioning Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, over the last several weeks. And in, bon, in, in the book, Bonhoeffer offers seven principles for eradicating selfish ambition from a Christian community. And he says Christians should, number one, hold their tongues. Refuse to speak unfairly about your Christian brother or sister. And folks, that goes on in spades. But Bonhoeffer says it ought to be removed from the church. And you can You hold your tongue. Second, he says Christians should cultivate the humility that comes from understanding that they, like Paul, are the chief of sinners. So if we're standing before God, we're only standing in grace. That's for each of us. He says Christians should listen long and patiently so that they will understand their fellow Christians' needs. We are quick to speak, but he says be quick to listen, slow to speak. Christians should refuse to consider their time and calling. So valuable that they cannot be interrupted to help with unexpected needs, no matter how small or menial. Man, we sometimes just cut people off because we say, I'm too busy. But for the Christian, inside of Christian community, this ought not be. We make room. That's how we look out for the interests of others. We allow ourselves to be interrupted. Christians should bear the burden of their brothers and and sisters in the Lord, both by preserving their freedom and by forgiving their sinful abuse of that freedom. Grace abounds in God's house. It ought to abound here as well. Christians should declare God's word to their fellow believers when they need to hear it. That's what we should do. We don't just hide the word in our heart for our own benefit, but so that we can speak it when our Christian brother needs to hear it. Finally, Christians, Bonhoeffer says, should understand that Christian authority is characterized by service and does not call attention to the person who performs the service. That's what's most important. The greatest among you is the one who serves. So I think it's practical, and we can apply these verses to our life. And I think it's imperative that we as a church remain united around humility, with like-mindedness, seeking to meet the needs of others. So having issued this appeal to unity now calls to mind the perfect example. So let me read to you. Verses 5 through 11. Paul writes this to the church at Philippi. But beloved, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking this to you even now. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. the father. Paul reveals the secret to happiness in the example of Christ. My daughter Amelia is cheerleading for the first time this year and she came home with her uniform and she also came home with pom-poms that had not been pom pommed. I don't know what you call this but they were (laughs) like flat ribbons that you've got to pull and adjust and I don't know what you're supposed to do but she gave it to me and I Try and I, I baby, we're, we're going to find your mom. I have no clue what to do, you know? So uh, Rachel pom pom it. However you do that to the ribbons, she did. I said, Rachel, how did you know how to do it? She said, well, there was like an instruction sheet in there. <laughs> Who pays attention to those, you know? Maybe you've been there before where you've tried to figure something out or put it together or fix it to the point of frustration, and you say, ah, I guess I'm going to have to look at the manual, you know? Well, Paul offers that here. You say, well, I'll I'll try to be humble, but how are we to do it? Paul gives us the manual. Look at Jesus. His attitude is our example. Paul says Jesus existed in the form of God. That simply means he's God. King and kings and Lord of lords. So what what do kings do with their position? We know what King Philip of Macedon would do. We know what Alexander the Great would do. We know what Caesar Augustus would do. But what about Jesus? Well, Jesus, who's equal to God, did not consider that something to be grasped or something to be taken advantage of. He didn't leverage his position in the way we would think or especially the way that Rome would think. Although he is God, he demonstrated an attitude that is opposite, diametrically opposed to selfish ambition. So what does he do? Verse 7 says he emptied himself. Now that doesn't mean that he became less God. Charles Ryrie speaks to that. He says Christ didn't become any less God, but he chose not to use some of his divine attributes. He was unrivaled, he was at the center of all things, and he empties himself. Fee says all of this in the present context is to portray the ultimate expression of do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit as God he pours himself out and then as man he demonstrates humility verse eight concludes with a scandal God on the cross what do you do with your king strip him mock him beat him put nails into his hands let him suffer an awful death The cross was reserved for the lowest of low, the dishonored slave. And Jesus endures the cross, not because of what he had done, but because of what I've done, because of what you have done. He endured the full wrath of God so that we might have forgiveness. Not because we work hard to earn it, but because we say, yes, Jesus, I believe you, I receive you, and then the free gift is extended. And it's after Jesus' humiliation expressed in verses 6-8 through that we get to read about Jesus' exaltation. Now, this is not reward for Jesus. It's not that he, you know, earned the resurrection or he earned this. He was vindicated because he was God and he was rightfully put back in the place of God. And Paul's playing with words here. It's happening more obviously in the Greek, but you can notice it in the English as well. Instead of empty glory, Christ emptied himself. Instead of selfish ambition, he took the form of a slave. He did not consider his equality with God selfishly, just as you and I in humility are to consider the needs of others ahead of our own. As a human being, he humbled himself, and all of this to God's glory, over against the empty glory of selfish ambition. So Jesus demonstrates that true joy comes by emptying ourselves for the sake of others. Now remember, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Uh, Joseph Hellerman has said, Rome was the most status-conscious society in the ancient Mediterranean world, and no city was more obsessed than Philippi. This is a city obsessed with status and honors. In Rome, the elites would compete among themselves for what was known as cursus honorum, the race for honors. It marked this, uh, uh, the aristocrats' climb from one s- level of status to another or to positions of uh, respect and honor. And it was reinforced in the city in so many ways. They would wear certain clothes to identify which class they were in. They had certain modes of transportation for the class they were in. They were recognized in specific ways for their level or their status. They were seated at banquets to kind of honor them for certain their level It doesn't sound too far off from our own society. But the goal was to climb from one position of status to the next. The top virtue in Rome was philotimia, the love of honor. So Paul now offers this tribute to Christ in the Roman Empire, riding from Rome to status-obsessed Philippi. And they were used to hearing these tributes of all the honors people received. But Paul does something a little backwards. His tribute to Christ unfolds in a way that would have directly subverted the expectations of a Roman colony. Instead of using his social capital to gain more honors, public recognition, Christ leveraged his status to serve others. So Paul is saying, now you be like Jesus. Give up on the honors race. Give up on spending your life obsessed with titles and glory. Just give it up. There is no real happiness in it. I know the world says there is, but there's no happiness in it. But true joy is found in living your life like Jesus for the sake of others. Joy is not found in selfish ambition. True joy is found in humility and servanthood. My extended family loves to play board games and group games. When we get together at the holidays, it's all about the game we're going to play. And uh, it's on both sides of the family. On Rachel's side of the family, her grandfather, Burt Poston, loved the game of Parcheesi. And we would sit down, and right before he rolled, he would count up just how many he needed to knock us home. And then all of a sudden, if he rolled the right thing, man, there was no mercy. He loved it. He relished it in it. Relished it in it. It was competition at the purest level. My family's the same way. We love a good game. But when we pull out the game, we like to remember All of the great victories from the past. Remember that time? Remember that time we destroyed you, you know? It just is a lot of fun for us. But you know what? The ending of all of those dramatic wins is exactly the same. It gets put in the box and stuffed in the back of the closet. You can win the race for honors, and you may think it brings happiness, but at the end of your life, everything gets packed up and stored away. But real joy comes in living your life for what will last into eternity. As we come to the invitation, I want to ask you, if if you're a follower of Jesus, to seek unity through humility. That means live your life for the benefit of other folks. So if you call this church home, that means you need to make room for other people. You need to stop thinking about what serves you best and you think about the person that might be walking in here for the first time. Rather than seeking to be served, you find a way to serve and a place to serve. You take notice. You make people feel at home. Perhaps today you've not responded to the grace that's found in Jesus. Well, the conclusion of this passage reminds us that there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But Jesus is not forcing you into submission today. He's saying, will you receive him? Because forgiveness is found simply by receiving and believing on his name. That's what John says. So today, if Jesus is speaking to your heart, would you respond? True joy does not come by indulging my sin, but dying to it. So today, let's you and I, let's unite in an effort to die to a life of selfish ambition and live for the sake of Jesus and others that's the secret to happiness and I invite you this morning into that sort of life our father and God we thank you so much for the preserved word that's our authority and we receive now the admonition from you Holy Spirit to seek unity and humility now God as you speak to our hearts I pray that you would help us to be available to you to respond just as you would call us to do it's in Jesus name we pray amen we have a time of invitation. If God's speaking to your heart, I'll be waiting down here and love to encourage you. It might be to respond to the gospel. It might be to join in the church. It might be to take a step of, uh, into believer's baptism. Whatever that decision is, you come forward. We'll be waiting. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Our choir's going to sing, and you respond.